When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Pakel, and welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. It happens here on a daily basis. We are about to embark on a Take Shape Saturday. All across the countries, teams from coast to coast are going to show you their cards. We head into the fourth quarter of the season, and that fourth quarter is when you find out what you're made of, right? Everybody loves to do it. Third quarter ends, and whether you're a fan, whether you're on the equipment staff, whether you're on the team, you throw up the fours because the fourth quarter is winning time. Reggie Miller said it best. There's a time to play. There's a time to win. We are now in the time to win as we head into week nine of the season. Very, very fired up to have you along for the ride. As you know, we go live on Tuesdays. We go live on Thursdays right around this time on the On3 YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed. We don't want you to miss anything that we do here. We have a live chat at the end of this show, so get your questions in now. But if you're subscribed, you're kind of able to get a jump on that, right? It's like knowing the play before it even happens. Like Michael Crabtree said, I saw it in my head, if you remember that play. Like I said, really, really fired up for today's show. On the docket, going to talk about Mickey Joseph and Nebraska. Here's the question. What if they already have their guy? There's a lot of conversations around the coaching search and what if it's Matt Campbell, Matt Rule, this guy, that guy. What if Mickey Joseph is the man for the job at Nebraska? Going to talk about it in depth. Also, we have a really strong presence from the Tennessee Volunteers in this chat, around this channel, and for good reason. Tennessee, one of the most exciting programs in the country right now. So we're going to talk about the defensive side of things. The offense gets a lot of love. Josh Heupel, Hennon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt. We could go down the list there. Got some ballers. Let's talk about the defense, because that may kind of be the hinge point for you to ultimately get to where you want to go right around January 2023. You catch my drift. Also going to talk about Jaden Daniels. Shout out to the LSU creative department. They threw us in the hype video for Jaden Daniels. He gets called JD a lot in the comment section. So when we go through our videos and look at the feedback that y'all tell us, especially the subscribers, you say JD this, JD that. And at first I was like, I, I didn't do anything for LSU. I didn't play this past Saturday. Why are you getting after me about my, my interceptions or what I did well? And then it started to click. Jaden Daniels, JD. Anyway, he's been cooking, folks. Like, he's been absolutely chefing up as of late. So going to talk about him and what has changed for him. Because it wasn't always this way, as we well remember. Hasn't always been the smoothest transition for him, but he's been balling. We're going to talk about why that is. At the end of this thing, going to talk about Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. A lot of people want to come to the table and gripe and moan and talk about what's wrong with Texas A&M. We've done it here. We've told you what we think is wrong with Texas A&M. Let's be solution-oriented. Let's talk about what can get done in terms of fixing Texas A&M. We have some ideas. We have some solutions we're bringing to the table. We are solution-oriented people on this program, as I'm sure you are as well watching this show. Going to break that down. And then, as we always say, the best thing we do on the people show, emphasis on the people, 
we're going to have a Q&A. So get in the chat right now. Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue, has made some modifications to his background, his whole setup down there in the Nick Brake Batcave. You're going to make sure you're tuned in for that. But get those questions in now so we can make sure we answer those efficiently and thoroughly at the end of this program. All right, so get those in right now in the live chat. Get that thing rolling. Before we get into any of that, though, let's talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. It's funny to say, but with all the talk about Tennessee, we'll talk about Alabama, about Ohio State, Georgia has, from my estimation at least, been flying under the radar in terms of the storylines surrounding that program. And here's my question when it comes to the Bulldogs. Obviously, big game this week against Florida, rivalry game, neutral site. They play Tennessee next week in Athens. That'll be a huge game. We're going to break it down and preview it on this channel, so make sure you're subscribed. Do we even know who Georgia is yet? It sounds funny. I mean, we're going into the fourth quarter of the season, but it's a genuine question. How much do we really know about Georgia? To take that a step further, have we seen Georgia's best yet? These are a couple of things that I think about when I'm up late at night because they've had injuries at some really crucial positions. Look at that receiving group. What was the conversation around Georgia heading into this year? Stetson Bennett, he's coming back for his 87th year of college football. Defense replacing some guys. We'll get to that in a second. But the receiver group, that was, I feel like, the talking point that everyone was looking at when it came to this football, to this football team. I mean, the receiver group, do they have an alpha that's going to step up and be that game breaker for them? We know Brock Bowers is a guy. We know Darnell Washington's a guy. Eric Gilbert, if he can get in the game and, and get to be a, a contributing factor consistently, that'd be huge for them. But the receiver position has been injury-ridden at crucial personnel. I mean, Arian Smith, a guy that Georgia fans have been, quite frankly, waiting on for a little bit to be totally healthy because if he can go, the dude is like a real world-class sprinter and can stretch the field extremely effectively. And a lot of it is wait and see and, and wait till he gets completely healthy. And he's, he's been kind of getting back comfortable after being injured early in the season. He's been banged up kind of the entirety of his time at Georgia. So there's still like some bated breath you're waiting on there. But perhaps as important, if not more importantly, A.D. Mitchell. He was the guy that a lot of Georgia fans looked at coming into, the, excuse me, coming into this year and just said, that's our alpha. That's our guy, right? That's the guy that's going to take this next step and be the guy for us going forward. Well, unfortunately for him, unfortunately for this Georgia offense, he got hurt against Samford, and we haven't seen him really get back since. And Stetson Bennett, talking about how impactful it is to have A.D. Mitchell on the field, said it in a press conference this week. He went so far as to say that A.D. Mitchell is the best receiver in the country. I'm not here to talk about that. Stetson Bennett feels how Stetson Bennett feels. But if A.D. Mitchell's on the field for this program, it is evident that you get a more comfortable Stetson Bennett. And Stetson Bennett has been playing really good football. But just imagine how much more dangerous that would make this offense. Imagine what kind of element that would add to their whole attack, their whole operation. Because right now, Brock Bowers is their leading receiver. And I'm not even going to say he wouldn't be the leading receiver if A.D. Mitchell's on the field. I'm just saying you get much more diverse in how you can attack defenses. And that's a scary thing. So without A.D. Mitchell on the field, I don't even think this offense has reached their maximum effectiveness just yet. We'll leave that there. Let's talk about the defense. We were talking a lot about how many guys they had to replace and guys they were going to have to lean on. One guy they were going to have to lean on, we were all convinced, Jalen Carter. 
and he's been hurt for some time. He's been banged up. There's conversation around what he's going to do going forward. He's practicing with the team. They said his head is good in terms of being engaged. He's been hurt. He's been hurt. You haven't had him on the field for you. And just to kind of elaborate on what that could be for Georgia, talking to people close to that program, they were pretty straight up. Without Jalen Carter on the field, you lose someone who could, quite frankly, change the complexion of a game. Because when Jalen Carter's out there, you have to at least think about double teaming him. And if you don't double team him, he could be a game wrecker for you. He could legitimately change the entire way that you add your back. Maybe you don't get to bring him out on a swing run. Maybe he has to stay in and help on Jalen Carter. You see what I'm saying here? The entire scheme around an offense attacking Georgia changes without Jalen Carter on the field. And so that's a big loss for them. On top of that, Smile Munden, Tresman Marshall, two guys that you talk about speed at the second level of your defense, you lose that. They can run sideline to sideline and be super effective in that way. And Georgia's been really solid defensively. Like, we're going to get to that in a second. They've been really great defensively. But to think that, hey, they could even be a step better, literally, maybe two steps better in terms of speed, having both those guys on the field, when they get back to full health, when they get back to full strength, it's a scary thought. And not having them, again, I just keep saying, do we know who Georgia really is yet? Because all of those guys I just mentioned, whether they're on the field and they're not totally healthy, whether they're off the field with an injury, the fact remains, some of those guys can make this team a whole lot better, which is, again, a scary thought. Second thing I want to beg the question this Georgia defense is on paper, at least, breaking in eight new starters. And before you get upset and come at me and say, well, hey, eight new starters, those guys played last year. They've gotten reps. They've been in, you know, they've been in the game before. That's great. I'm cool with that. I understand that. That's still important. But to still have eight new guys still trying to learn each other's tendencies and be cohesive on defense and get all on the same page completely especially with those injuries baked in. I'm just saying, I think there's a whole other level you can get to. Here's the metaphor I'll put to it. When you put on a pair of shoes, no matter how comfortable they are, Nike doesn't sponsor the show, so I'll be brief with this metaphor, but let's say you put on a nice pair of Nike running shoes. You can throw those bad boys on. You could probably go a couple miles, and it would feel good. You'd probably have a decent time. You would be able to get from point A to B effectively. Like It would still work. But until you broke those things in, let's say you get, oh, I don't know, eight weeks of running in with those, then at that point, it's like, okay, now we're broken in. I know what to expect. I'm comfortable. We can really kick it up a notch here. And that's the same thing with this whole defense, this whole program. Let's ask the question. They got Florida this week, and then they got Tennessee at the crib. Go to Mississippi State, go to Kentucky, finish the year with Georgia Tech. What happens if in this game against Florida, there is a new kind of light bulb moment for this program defensively? What if those guys that have all been kind of playing together and still getting their bearings, what if they take a whole new level in terms of cohesion and harmony and being on the same page? Not that they weren't before, but just what if they take it an extra step forward? It's dangerous. It's scary for the rest of the country. That's just the fact of the matter. That's kind of the last thing I want to say about this program. Because we talk about the injuries and the, the fact they're still getting comfortable on defense, it feels like to me at least. What if we've only seen 75% of what Georgia can be? That's frightening because I'll read the numbers to you. 
Talk about wide receiver issues, right? And issues in quotation marks, first world problems at wide receiver. Still scoring 43 points a game. Good for third in the country. 534 yards of offense. Good for second in the country. And we were talking about the pass game, right? That's an issue, right? We got to be more explosive. Well, 8.9 yards of pass for Stetson Bennett. Number 11 in the country. Pass game seems like it's okay to me. If they get A.D. Mitchell back, if they get Arian Smith cooking and in the operation totally back comfortable, I don't know. I say, hey, you, you tell me. You tell me what that means for Georgia. Because Stetson Bennett said that's his guy. Stetson Bennett says that's the best receiver in the country. That's not yet back with us. Food for thought. The defense, still getting comfortable. Jalen Carter's not playing. Smile Munda's been banged up. Tresman Marshall been banged up. Not totally full strength, right? Yeah, well, they're still giving up like 11 points a game. Second in the country. Uh, 267 yards of offense total per a game. Number five in the country. So, like, their problems, again, they're first world problems. They really are first world problems. But the conclusion is this thing could get scary for everybody else on the schedule that's left. If Georgia finds that next year and does what, quite frankly, great football teams do and play their best ball in November and they mesh and they figure each other out and they get back healthy. We talk about throwing a punch all the time on this program in terms of a metaphorical sense. Georgia has been throwing a punch with a broken finger and having not really thrown a punch consistently with the same group. If they get to throw a full-strength punch the rest of their schedule, all bets are off. I'll leave it at that. But I think there's a lot more left in the tank for the Georgia Bulldogs. Folks, if you haven't yet, we're on podcasts. So Spotify and Apple are both places you can find us. Leave a five-star review and a question. We will feature it in this show. You have my word. All right? You can find that on my Twitter page. You can find that in the description to this video. But we're there. The Hard Count with J.D. Pickell. It's not saying it necessarily in the title, but Nick Brake also equally crucial to that operation. We're there. So go check us out. Leave us a question and review. Let's talk about Mickey Joseph. Because there has been a ton of conversation around the Nebraska coaching search and the brand that Nebraska is and the expectations that came into the year for the Cornhuskers, myself included. I thought there would be, there would be some good things. I thought they would be able to save Scott Frost's job. And of course, the fact of the matter is it didn't work out that way. But now for Nebraska, with just the aura around a program like that, just the title, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, that, that, that means something in college football, right? Like, you, you know Nebraska. Whether they're playing well or not, you know who they are. So they have a chance to go get a really big name. Well, here's the question that I don't know has been asked enough. What if it's Mickey Joseph? a guy who gets Nebraska, a guy who played with the athletic director. What if he's the best guy for this job? And I think what he's done so far with this team demands serious consideration. They're right now at three and four. And let's just make this assumption. Scott Frost, according to his contract, if he had reached six and six, they had made a bowl game, there would have been, to my understanding, a raise involved, and some sort of verbiage surrounding an extension. So again, it's not written in there in the fine print. It's not black and white. I'm making the assumption six and six probably has the conversation for Scott Frost to keep his job. All right. Is that vague enough for everybody? Are we all on the same page with, 
you know, what could be, should be. All right, we're on the same page with that, that assumption. Good. What if Mickey Joseph gets them to six and six? I think that's a fair question because then it starts to be a matter of Mickey Joseph took this program to a bowl game when he inherited the program, let's just call it what it was, on pretty rough times. Like people on Twitter have been reaching out to me and, and tagging me and stuff and saying, Nebraska was down bad when Mickey Joseph took it over. If they get to a bowl game, give him the job. So the gauntlet for them the rest of the way to get to six and six isn't necessarily easy by any stretch of the imagination, but let's, uh, let's take a look at it. We got Illinois at home this week, a ranked Illinois, mind you. You got Minnesota, good Minnesota team. You go to Michigan, which will be its own issue in itself. Then you got Wisconsin and finish the year at Iowa. So realistically, you're looking pretty closely at Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. Those three, in my mind, are the most winnable games left for Mickey Joseph. So if he hits six and six, are you, gonna, are you really going to look elsewhere? That's a question for people that make a lot more money and wear suits to work every single day. I don't envy them. I, I think it, just, it begs the question because then you have the results to look at. Then it's not so much uh, we're betting on what he could be. It's more so he's done this so far in a program that was playing left-handed for the most part, had their coach fired early in the year, and he got us to a bowl game. I think it's an interesting conversation. The other piece of this to me is the players love him. Like he has gotten so much traction with being a player's coach and so much buy-in. And to be honest, folks, buy-in is what takes the most time to build. Like go get whoever you want from the outside. Go get a Matt Rule. Go get a Matt Campbell. Go get a Lane Kiffin, dare I say it. Whoever you want, just insert head coach here. Don't get too upset about the names that I'm saying here. Insert head coach here. You have to then rebuild buy-in. You have to then get those players to trust that coach and say, yes, actually, you're our guy. We're in for how you want to do it. Let's roll. And that takes time. That takes a whole lot of time. And I would ask, is that the time you want to take? Are you okay with waiting a year, year and a half to get back to where you eventually think you should be? Because Mickey Joseph's got that locker room bought in right now. So that leads me to honestly two questions. There's two questions that I think you have to ask knowing that the locker room is bought in. The first is, do you trust that locker room? Do you trust that those players have an understanding as to what they need to do to get to that championship caliber they expect Lincoln, Nebraska? Because if you do, then you can trust the fact that they know what's best for them. If you don't, if you think, hey, we maybe have some issues internally, and I don't know this, maybe you think that if you don't trust the locker room, and you say, all right, we think that we know what's best as an administration, we're going to make this decision. It's, it's your choice. That's the question you got to ask, though. The second question is this. Do you believe there is a winning culture being established? Because you may not see the ROI this year. This is where you have to gamble a little bit. Do you believe that Mickey Joseph is installing a culture and a way of doing things that's going to win you football games down the road? Because if the answer is yes to both of those questions, you got your guy. There's a gamble, whoever you hire. Some have a more proven track record than others, but to some level, you got to believe in something here. Got to believe in someone. And if you think that the locker room is bought in and you trust them, and you believe that there's a culture of winning that's going into place right now, you give Mickey Joseph the job. Simple as that. So here's what I would do. I think you make your list, and you make it a short list. 
you have maybe two, three at tops, guys that you would reach for. You call them, you make them an offer, you make them say no to you. No name is off limits, as outlandish as you want, and you call them, and you make them an offer. Or at least interview them and then decide what you want to do from there, but you hear what I'm saying here. You go to your two to three guys, and if you don't feel comfortable post-interview or whatever it may be, you give it to Mickey Joseph. You don't do this 10 to 15 extensive you know, names and, and go through a bunch of interviews and months of a process. Like You don't make this thing more complicated than it needs to be. Because if you make Mickey Joseph your head coach, I'm just saying this right now, I don't think that you're unhappy at the end of this thing. I really don't. Now you bet on potential and like I said, proven track record of guys and Matt Rules did this and Matt Campbell's done this. Mickey Joseph, when you hire him, part of that is also about getting behind him and making that decision to make him your head coach great. You give him whatever he needs, whatever he asks for, and you support him to the bitter end. All right? So that's how we feel. If I had to decide today, if I was given the decision to pick whoever Nebraska's head coach should be, I'd have a hard time not saying Mickey Joseph. And I've talked about if we could go to the outside, getting Matt Rule or getting Matt Campbell. And those are the two guys I keep on saying because I think they're the best fits. But Mickey Joseph has already got that buy-in. And that is very difficult to establish. So we'll leave it at that. Mickey Joseph has our vote, at least, to be the, to be the next head coach for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. We would love that for them. The Nebraska guy, too, he gets it. He gets it. Not everybody does. Folks, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel. Would love to have you along for the ride. I'll leave it at that. Let's talk about the Tennessee defense. Because like we talked about, everybody and their mother is going to talk about how many points the offense scores and how fast they go and just how great Hendon Hooker is. And that is all extremely warranted. We'll be the first ones to say it. We've did, we did a video ourselves on how good that offense can be and how good they are and why they're so good. We love that offense here. However, there's 22 guys on a football field at a time, and half the time, that's your defense. So in order for them to get to where they want to go, you're going to need something from the defensive side of things, right? And I think, to be honest, there has been a bad rap given to the secondary, and some of that is warranted allowing 332 yards a game through the air, it's dead last in the country. It's not good. It's not a winning recipe. Now, they're undefeated, but that's a tough way to go. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's kind of get some conversation points and kind of find our way around this whole Tennessee operation, right? Let's kind of look at this Tennessee defense from a 30,000-foot view because stats don't tell the entire story when it comes to that secondary number. Tim Banks, defensive coordinator, He's going to dial it up. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to bring a corner from the boundary. He's going to bring pressure from that third and second level. So when you're aggressive, guess what? You provide yourself the opportunity to make a big play on defense. You also provide yourself the opportunity to allow for a big play for the offense. That's just the way it goes. There's no which two ways about it. If you want to play high stakes games, you got to be okay with missing sometimes and having some of those things come back to bite you so that's first of all but the second piece is when you look at the numbers for this Tennessee off excuse me Tennessee defense rather and we just said numbers don't tell the whole story so let's take a look at more of those numbers 60 percent of the opposing team snaps are passing rather they're calling the majority of their plays to be pass plays against this Tennessee defense so what does that mean 
more opportunity for more numbers to be stacked up against this secondary. It also means a lot of those programs are probably trying to play catch up or at the very least keep pace. Like, hey, Tennessee just scored 14. We have three right now. We got to get two touchdowns quick, fast, in a hurry. Most effective way for us to do that is to throw the football. So this Tennessee defense is under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure in terms of how often they're being thrown at. Like I just said, thrown at just about as much, if not more than anybody else in the country. Let's pair that with the fact that they are 125th in terms of time of possession as an offense. So what does that mean? It means the defense is out there a whole lot because they snap the ball offensively 15, excuse me, every 15 seconds. That's a whole lot of plays, folks. That's a whole lot of plays. That means the offense is going lightning quick. So whether they're three and out or whether they're scoring, they're both probably happening at a relatively quick pace. And when you go at a quick pace, it means the defense has got to take the field here pretty soon. And so for them to be on the field so much, again, same thing as the passing percentage, when you're out there so much, there's more plays run against you, which kind of skews that whole number. And we're not excusing that 332 yards per game. I'm not. I think that's horrific. And Tennessee knows that. I promise you Tim Banks knows that. There needs to be some sort of adjustment there. But even so, let's look a little bit deeper than these numbers. Let's get some more reference points. Let's look at the context. Because I think that's important at the very end of the day. I mean, I, th I think that's something you have to at least take into account for this whole Tennessee defense. So let's look at the secondary. Put it over here. Keep it on ice. Let's talk about the, the defensive line and linebacker play because they've been some of the best in the country. They're top 10, I believe, in terms of yards per game allowed rushing and yards per a carry. Less than 100 on the ground and right around three yards a carry allowed. That's really good. You're going to win a lot of football games that way. And so the translation to that is you can win if this game becomes a matter of let's play in a phone booth. Like Kentucky's going to do this coming year, excuse me, this coming week, rather, like Georgia's going to do in two Saturdays from now. They're going to make you play within the tackles. All right. Our big guys versus your big guys. Let's run it up. Let's make this thing happen. Let's see what you can do. Forget throwing the football. We're going to run it at you. Tennessee can win that way. And that means a lot, especially with what they have lacked on the back end of this defense. So something to keep in mind. The off-road tires work just fine for this Tennessee defense. All right, they can lean on those big boys up front. And that's kind of what football is, right? Like trying to offset what you don't have with what you do have. And credit Tim Banks, credit this Tennessee defense. They're only allowing 23 points a game. 23 points a game. That's some of the best performances in the country. And they haven't been playing against subpar competition. Bryce Young in Alabama. Yeah, they can go a little bit. Bryce Young's got a Heisman Trophy in his name. So... That offense is solid. The average, 23 points a game. So the defensive formula, to a degree at least, is working. They're undefeated, okay? And here's, I think, probably the most intriguing thing to look at when you talk about this Tennessee team. For all the faults that you have in that secondary, it needs to get better, right? Like, that's not a novel concept. There needs to be improvement when it comes to what this Tennessee defense is right now. On the flip side... It may not matter that much. It sounds funny to say out loud, but it just, it may not matter that much when it comes to what Tennessee is going to do the rest of the way. Because when you look at this Tennessee team with how many points they score, ball kicks off, 
whether it's Tennessee or whether it's their opponent that gets the ball, three and out, whatever, they score a touchdown, doesn't matter. Tennessee's going to score like 40. Tennessee is going to score 45 to 48 points and just say, can you match us? Can you? I mean, that, that's, that's what we're asking you to do. Can you win a track meet with us? Because you better bring your running shoes, you better get out of the blocks hot, and you better not lose pace because we're going to go quarter to quarter to quarter to quarter and score a lot of points. It feels a lot like that LSU team in 2019. And I don't love the comps just because every schedule is different, every program is different from a personnel standpoint, but there's a lot of parallels. Joe Burrow and Hennon Hooker both lighten up the stat sheet, both got freak show wide receivers. Look at that LSU defense, how many points they allowed that year? They allowed 22 points a game. So just one point less than what Tennessee's given up right now. And a uh, spoiler alert, that LSU team finished with a national championship. We'll leave it at that. So if Tennessee can continue to trend upward on the secondary side of things, I think they're going to be in really good shape. Now, timing is everything. Situation is everything. Context is everything. But looking at the broad strokes of this, Tennessee can win with how they're playing right now. And if they can progress, that's going to make the difference. So for Tennessee, can the defense continue to trend upward? If so, could be some good things in the Vols' future. Could be some hardware, rather, going to Knoxville somewhere around the new year. We'll leave it at that. Folks, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we are surging right now. We have a lot of people that are jumping on board, and it's a whole lot of fun. If you were here for the Tuesday show, live chat was popping off and it was an absolute blast to be a part of an absolute blast to answer questions in that fashion nick break and i had the time of our lives so jump in the chat right now if you haven't already throw us a question nick break keeper of the queue we're going to get to it at the end of the program but again subscribe to the channel if you haven't already cost us nothing cost you nothing helps the whole operation go all right Jaden daniels has been absolutely bawling anybody else notice that Anybody else kept an eye on what number five for LSU has been doing as of late? He's been cooking. And for the first four games, rather, first four games against Power 5 competition, which is kind of what matters here when you look at stats, it wasn't going that way. People were sitting at home and saying, Jaden Daniels, what are you doing? Throw the ball deep. Do something. The offense looks anemic. And that's not all his fault. There's a lot that goes into that. We'll get to that in a second. But you were very much frustrated as an LSU fan with Jaden Daniels through the first few weeks of this year. And for good reason. We talked about it. The Power 5 games, the first four of those, LSU was averaging 22 points a game. Not great. Not winning football. Not going to get you to where you want to go. Now, they were fortunate to still find ways to win some of those games, even though that's not a winning formula. They were able to be gritty, have some heart about themselves. Defense played well, played complimentary, found a way to get it done. Fast forward to now, the offense is clicking, and a big reason why, Jaden Daniels is in his bag. They've scored 45 the last two games. So how did this happen? Like, Jaden Daniels was the same guy when he got to LSU as he is right now. I don't think there was anything crazy that happened. I'm sure he hit the weight room. I'm sure he got into an SEC strength program and nutrition. That's all well and good. There's nothing monumental that's changed about Jaden Daniels. So why is he playing so well? Why is the offense playing so well? Let's take a look. The most obvious piece of all this is he's more decisive. We said it a few weeks ago on this program, a Sunday morning sprint. We just said, Jaden Daniels, for LSU to get to where they want to go, you got to unhitch the wagon. 
And a lot of you know that metaphor, but if you're driving and you have a wagon hitched behind you, you know that car can't go full speed. You know you can't reach maximum capacity. You can't go as fast as you want to go. And that's the way it felt for Jaden Daniels because there wasn't a lot of pushing the ball downfield. He was averaging at most 6.7 yards in attempt. It's not great. That's not going to be explosive kind of numbers. Now, fast forward to these last two games against Florida and Ole Miss, my guy's averaging right around nine yards in attempt. That's astronomically different. It's just three yards on paper, but that is a world of difference when it comes to the gameplay. And so he's willing to now push the ball downfield. He trusts his receivers more. He trusts himself more. Talked about a conversation with Brian Kelly after the Auburn game and just saying, hey, you got to be assertive. You got to be decisive. Trust yourself. Trust these playmakers. He's done that, and you've seen the results. You've seen, you've, you've seen the dividends. Because there's no shortage of guys here on this program, on this offense, rather, that can make plays for him. Kayshawn Butte, he's coming to his own. We said it in a previous video. He's averaging five receptions each of the last three games. So he's getting his touches. Malik Neighbors, he's eating. Jeray Jenkins had a huge touchdown catch against Ole Miss. Like all these guys are now getting to have more of a say as to how this game goes. And a lot of that is in part to Jaden Daniels unhitching the wagon, pushing the ball downfield, and trusting them to make plays. He's been decisive. On top of that, he's used his legs effectively. There's two sides to this. One side is he's used his legs in the run game. We always knew he could do that. He's been really decisive in that matter as well. Pulling on the read option. When he gets out and he sees nothing there, he's going, he's picking up a first down or he's getting down or whatever it is. He's being smart. He's being efficient. He's being effective. That goes without saying. What I think the next step for him has been is when he gets out of the pocket, he gets flushed out. A big defensive lineman's in his face. He says, see ya, turns on the burners, gets outside. He doesn't immediately look to run. He says, okay, I'm going to get out create some space, buy myself some time. Like we just said, there's a lot of guys that are going to play on Sunday that are in the LSU wide receiver room. And so when he gets out in space, he's looking downfield and saying, who can I get the football to? And we've seen that change the offense. We've seen that change the way that he approaches the game. We've seen the way that changes the, the tempo of the game for these receivers. They get involved. They get in a rhythm. And you see more points being scored for LSU. And that is a very good thing. Having your best players touch the football, wink, wink, hint, hint, Kayshawn Butte, good things happen. And that next step for him to understand, when I get out of the pocket, I need to find these guys. My legs are great. I can do good things with them. But when I find these guys, that's when we take that next step to be an elite offense, a 40-plus points a game kind of offense, these last two games. So that kind of patience for him has paid very big dividends. And the quarterback is obviously the one who's going to take all of the praise. And when they're not playing well, going to take all the blame. We've seen both sides of it for JD this year. Jane Daniels, not me. We've seen both sides of it for him. And I think to the same token, while he's getting a lot of praise and that's very much deserved and he's done a lot of good things, let's talk about the guys around him that have stepped up. That offensive line playing two true freshmen at tackle in the SEC, that doesn't happen. Even more so, that's not a recipe for success. LSU wouldn't be doing that if they didn't feel like they had to. And credit both those guys, they've done a really good job as of late. That offensive line has gotten more continuity, gotten more comfortable. Are they the best line in the SEC? Not yet. Probably not today. But to be serviceable and to allow Jaden Daniels more time, to allow him to get into a rhythm, 
you can't say enough good things about this offensive line and the steps they've taken in this very short time during the 2022 season. On top of that, kind of riffing on the offensive line, how about Josh Williams? He's coming into his own 75 yards and 100 yards, respectively, the last two games. To have a run game take some pressure off your quarterback to know, hey, in that read option game, if you don't crash and we give it to Josh Williams, you're going to have your own issues to deal with. You're going to have to go and try and tackle 27. Just the way that it goes. That helps the entire offense run much more balanced, much more efficiently, and gives Jaden Daniels much more breathing room to go and be special and make the plays that he has. So this offense right now for LSU is cooking. And as an LSU fan, you would like to believe this is who we are now. Brian Kelly's talking like it. Jaden Daniels talking like it saying, hey, now he's comfortable, now he's in control, now we're actually going to start to do some really good things going forward. So here's the deal. If this, is who LSU, excuse me, if this is who LSU is going forward, this year can be whatever LSU wants it to be. And I do not back down from saying that. The rest of the way, they have Bama at home off of a bye. Bama's off a bye too. They go to Arkansas, got UAB, and at Texas A&M. can be whatever they want it to be. This year for LSU, with the offense playing at the level it is, some really good things can happen. We'll leave it at that. If you haven't yet subscribed, would love to have you jump on in here with us. Join the party. It's getting rowdy. Go ahead, subscribe. And it costs you nothing. It helps us. And we'll keep this thing rolling. Also, if you haven't yet, get a question into the live chat. Nick Brake, keeper of the queue. One more segment, and then we're about to get into it. All right? Appreciate you in advance. Roll party roll. What needs to happen at Texas A&M? How do you fix this whole operation? Is it fixable? Because a lot of people have already sold Texas A&M down the river. Said Jimbo Fisher's no good. You should fire him. A lot of wild assumptions, a lot of wild solutions, quote unquote, that there is no solution are being thrown out there. Let's take a pause. Let's all take a deep breath. Get a glass of water take a lap, whatever we need to do to get back to sort of a centered position where we can kind of workshop this thing, that would be most beneficial. Because like it or not, you got some games left this year. Like it or not, Jimbo Fisher is going to be your head coach beyond just this season. So let's put our solution caps on and talk about some ways where we can be solution oriented and ways that we can fix this whole operation. Because burning the program down and... Firing Jimbo Fisher, that's not a solution. And honestly, in itself, that's the solution that you're looking towards. And I don't think we need to go that extreme. So what are some things that need to happen for this program to be fixed? I think it's a fair question. Right now, they're three and four, and there are a few goalpost alterations away from being two and five with that game against Arkansas. Fact's a fact. I think the first thing that needs to happen is Jimbo Fisher... He needs to pass the sticks. There's a rule when you're playing video games, especially if it's Madden or NCAA, if you go down 21-0, which in real football is not really a, you know, a fair metric to pass the sticks at, but if you go down three scores, you're passing the control to somebody else. Somebody else gets a turn to try and do better than you. And I think that's where Jimbo Fisher and company is at right now. Look at the offensive statistics. 20 points a game, 105th in the country. Yards per game, 317. 113th in the country. They are 30% on third down, 114th in the country. Numbers don't tell the whole story, but those are three pretty condemning numbers. 
for Jimbo Fisher. I understand that the offense is his baby. I understand that there's a lot of talk about him being like a quarterback whisperer. And those things may all be true. But as of right now, in this situation, they're not. In, in the year 2022 at Texas A&M, none of those things are true on paper or on tape. And so the thing that I would say is somebody else needs to be given the opportunity, at least, to try and run this offense from a play calling standpoint. Jimbo Fisher is a head coach. He's proven he can be a head coach. He's got a national title ring to prove it. But somebody else needs to get the opportunity to run this offense. Devon Achan, your best player, hasn't broken the 20 carry mark more than once this year. Play callers get the ball to their best players. I understand he's done other things in the past game and had other games where he gets more than 20 touches from a reception standpoint combined with his carries, but you hear what I'm saying here. That's just wrong. That's just, that's just not a good way to live your life at the Texas A&M offense. So that's the first thing. Whether you promote internally or whether you go this offseason and hire an offensive coordinator, somebody else gets to have a chance on the sticks. The second thing for me, how we can fix Texas A&M. The Connor Wegman era is here. And if you want to fix this program, the Connor Wegman era begins this coming Saturday. Because Max Johnson, who I thought was your best option to begin the year, is hurt for the year, not available. Haynes King, God bless him, extremely talented. Tons of potential athletically. A freakish athlete. But he's proven he's not the guy for you at quarterback. So now, the future is starting a little bit earlier than you probably assumed, and Connor Wegman needs to be past the reins to this offense. And some of this is building for the future and what they're going to be going forward. I think even just for right now, he gives you the best chance to win. And a lot of that probably falls onto what Haynes King can't bring you, but for Connor Wegman, we know he's talented. It's a matter of him getting game reps, a matter of him getting game experience, and a matter of him getting comfortable and having this program behind him. You're three and four. You're not playing for an SEC title. You're not playing for the college football playoff. Start the future now. What do you have to lose? Miss a bowl game? Okay. I mean, I, I get that looks bad. I get nobody is okay with missing a bowl game. But I'm saying if that's the worst that happens, and if that sets you up for more success in 2023, to get the Connor Wegman era revved up a little bit, I love it. Let's do it. Because he gives you the best chance to win. Haynes King does not, and Max Johnson's not available. That's the world we're living in. So I think that's a step towards, honestly, fixing this program and fixing some of the offensive issues you may have to begin with. Connor Wegman, the time is now, brother. Passing the keys. Here's probably the most important thing that I want to make sure I say about the Texas A&M program and how you can fix it. And I want to be a little bit careful with how I say all of this, but the law needs to be laid down. From Jimbo Fisher, there needs to be a very clear standard that's set from class to class to class to class, senior to freshman. There needs to be an understanding because healthy teams have a healthy hierarchy in terms of what they expect from the underclassmen and the upperclassmen. You need freshmen to contribute. That's kind of the way that you live in college football right now. Even some of the best programs in the country ask freshmen to play early. Now, you don't want all of them playing early, but you need some guys to step up and play. And I will just leave it at this. The rumors that have been circulating around makes me feel like the freshmen that are at Texas A&M don't have a clear understanding of the standard. And so if there is a lack of understanding from that freshman class, 
And again, this is all very much hypothetical. If there was a lack of understanding, which it appears there is, then let's make sure that standard's clear. I will never forget my first fall camp of college football. There was a point where all of the new players to the team stood up in front of the entire program and stated their name, stated where they were from, and some of their previous accolades in high school. And this wasn't hazing, this wasn't anything derogatory, but it just kind of went to show you, hey, you're now where all the big dogs eat. Because each person went down and said, so-and-so from wherever place, and then I was a five-star. I was a All-American. I was a first-team whatever. Every single person said that. Except for me, of course, I was a walk-on. But every single person said that. So that just kind of, I think, was a very sobering moment to understand, hey, everybody here is good. Guess what? The guys that are listening to you, the people you're introducing yourself to within that roster, they all have the same accolades. So that's great that they brought in this incredible freshman class. You never, ever, ever turn away talent. But when there is a misunderstanding as to what the standard is and you fail to meet that, there needs to be a resetting. The law needs to be reestablished in College Station. That's my feel for it. So to recap this whole thing for Texas A&M, let's pass the sticks offensively. Jimbo Fisher's a head coach. Let him be a head coach. Go get an offensive coordinator and let them have a try at this. Second piece, Connor Wegman. The time is now, brother. You give Texas A&M the best chance to win. Let's get that process started right now. And third, the law needs to be clear for everybody, freshmen and seniors alike. The standard needs to be recalibrated and reset. It's the way it looks from our vantage point for what needs to happen for the good folks at Texas A&M. Because they got a lot of talent, folks. They got a lot of talent. There's never been a question of how many guys they have that can play at Texas A&M. But it has consistently been things that are self-inflicted or feel like haven't worked and you keep trying to make them work. I don't know. But there's got to be some solutions now because we've talked about the problems. Let's start bringing some solutions. Those are our solutions. All right. Now time for the best part of the entire program. We welcome on the man, the myth, the legend, the heavy lifter, Nick Brake. Nick, how we doing, my guy? Hey, we're doing good, JD. Uh, man, lots of good stuff talking about. Lots of good questions. Um, we don't have as many as we did last show, but maybe they'll start to come in. I love it. Roll party. You look good, though. The, uh, the background is, I think, something we need to hone in on. The background looks exquisite well i mean i was looking around and this is in the studio by any means uh it's the control room for the hard count mm -hmm. but it's hard count hq so uh i mean welcome inside the headquarters right here this is it the nick break bat cave yeah then oh yeah i like that one yeah, <laughs> it'll stick i think we'll see we'll see what uh we'll see what happens there what are the good people saying though in the chat nick uh well first things first we're going up to the top of the show danny pritchard asked uh how do you compare the defenses of georgia and Alabama, maybe asking with Tennessee stakes uh, coming into that Week 10 game. Fair question. I think for me, the first thing that jumps out is the experience is probably more so leaning towards Alabama. But, but I think in terms of like a personnel standpoint, the secondary for Georgia, I just like their chances better against Tennessee. If I'm answering that question, how I think it's being asked, like I think Georgia will match up better whether it be personnel or a scheme standpoint, I think they'll have a better shot to try and defend Tennessee. Now, will they win that game? Will the Georgia defense be up to the task? You know, we'll see. But with what 
Alabama just gifted, it felt like, multiple times, not playing the ball in the air, having pass interference penalties. I don't think you're going to get that quite as much from Georgia. So I, I think those are kind of the differences, but you still have a lot of guys in that front seven for Alabama that are uh, going to be Sunday players, without a doubt. So I think that's kind of the matchup. There's some similarities, but the secondary should be a little bit more of a tall task for the Volunteers when they go to Athens November 5th. But that's a great question, Nick. What else we got, brother? Another uh, Tennessee question. Nick Meyer says, the question we all want to answer, we want you to answer, J.D., you taking the dark mode or smoky gray Tennessee uniforms? Whoa. Dark mode or smoky gray. So smoky gray is a little bit more classic. And here's the, the sort of political answer I'll give. The smoky grays, they won in those. And they won big. They look good in the end zone in the smoky grays. I will reserve my right to say dark mode versus smoky grays until after this game. But if I have to give an early leader in the clubhouse, dude, the dark mode looks sick. Like the, the dark mode is just kind of like a, a villain sort of we're about to go handle business kind of get up. So I like the dark mode. Also, it's Halloween. It's the orange and black kind of look. So I'll go dark mode. Excuse me, I'll go dark mode for now. Uh, but if, you know, things don't go as planned, they don't look as good on the field, then we'll you know reserve our right to flip back to the Smoky Grays. But I like that question. I like that question, Nick and Nick Meyer. JD, I disagree. Uh, Nick Meyer, um, I'm going. Look at these smoky grays we've got on the screen right now. Whoa. Indian Hooker looks pretty clean in it. So uh, I don't know, JD. You're the expert here, but uh, when it comes to uniforms, look, I think the smoky grays are awesome. And like you said, uh, hey, look, if the cats cause some problems, who knows? Yeah, that's uh, true. What the answer is going to be. Well, here's the thing I would say you and I are both in dark mode today yeah. as we, as we oh, came yeah. into the studio. So. <laughs> If maybe if we go smoky gray, we'll, we'll feel different about that. But right now, all my stake is in the dark mode, Ken. Oh, yeah. But I like, I mean, I think that's fair. There's an argument to be made for both. It's a very fair argument. Certainly, certainly. So we've got a question and an answer here in our chat uh, regarding Tennessee, or excuse me, Texas. This is a question that you've answered a lot, but uh, I think we've got time to answer it again. Uh, JH22 says, any additional thoughts on Quinn Ewers? And before we get your answer, Wayne Starr says he's a good quarterback and the mullet is fire. That's all he has. What do you have? Mullet is fire. That is confirmed. The mullet is very cool. A lot of people can't pull off the mullet. Quinn Ewers does. The question about Quinn Ewers as a quarterback, the good news is the ceiling probably doesn't exist with him. Extremely talented, tons of arm talent, and we've seen it at points. We saw it against Alabama. We saw it in different games in Big 12 play. I mean, we've seen the dude be a baller before. I'm trying to think where we saw him light it up. Oklahoma. We saw him throw it all around the field against Oklahoma. The Oklahoma State game gives you some pause, obviously, because that's the first game where we've seen him really just kind of not have it, to be honest. It's the first time we've seen a hiccup in his whole career right now at Texas, which is very short. Here's the thing. He went on the road against an Oklahoma State team that was well-coached and had the crowd at their back. And so for that being his first true road test and for them to still honestly have a chance to win the game, he didn't play great by any means, but that last interception, he hit Sanders in the hands. They catch that. Maybe they have a chance to have a couple more plays towards the end zone. So I'm, I think the verdict on Quinn Ewers should definitely still be one that we kind of wait and see. Now, my thoughts on him right now, elite talent. I think they have the right guy playing quarterback, tons of ability. But what he does with that going forward, I'm excited to see. I think he's a good quarterback until we we get you know solid data proving otherwise. Okay, JD, good good answer. Um, Garrett Bauer says at JD at Nicholas Break. I guess he found my YouTube in here. <laughs> he said, "What is your upset of the week, and why is it Florida over Georgia?" 
Florida over Georgia. Well, let's just talk about that. Let's talk about what would have to happen for Florida to upset Georgia, because that's the question, right? You need AR to be in Utah kind of mode and maybe even plus one of that. Like AR needs to have the best game he's ever had, both throwing and running, because it's going to take something like that to be able to beat this Georgia defense. On top of that, you just need the, the defense for Florida to be more serviceable, if that's even the right word. I mean, they're, Nick, they're the worst team in the country right now on third down. Uh, there needs to be some sort of revamping. So if they can create negative plays early, if they can steal a possession or two here, maybe four sets of Bennett into an errant throw, I think that would do wonders for this program in terms of like the course of the game and having momentum. But upset of the week, uh, it's, it's probably not Florida. Uh, but, Nick, I want to hear your thoughts on on the Florida-Georgia matchup and maybe, you know, your extra two cents on how that game could go. I, I wish Garrett hadn't asked me because I – look, I love upsets. I love a good upset. And uh, despite a couple of shaky performances, I also really like Anthony Richardson. I have a bad feeling about this. I'm going to quote Star Wars again, and our uh, our dear boss Luke will get upset with me. Uh, but I, I have a bad feeling. I love Georgia. Um, I think, look, I'm a better, so I think that uh, Florida covers. But maybe at the end of the day, I think Georgia is going to win. Sorry, Garrett. Um, well, the irony in saying, you know, not wanting to say Star Wars, but then also Luke I know. Kind of plays in. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a tough, <laughs> it's a tough back and forth, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I think I think we're aligned there. Yeah, I think we are. Up uh, look, Garrett, they're gonna cover. Mark my words. The Gators um, will. A B Bailey, who by the way is a big uh Texas fan, always going to war in the comments against the uh Tennessee fans, which uh we you, you love because there are a lot of Tennessee fans in here. So credit to A B Bailey for really going to war with and terribly outnumbered as well. So, uh, A.B. Bailey asked, anyone thinking LSU is going to be Bama this year? So, Whoa. It's another upset. Whoa is, like, is the real question. So, both off a of bye. If you're, if you're going to make a case for LSU to win that football game, the game's in Death Valley. The LSU offense is clicking. Alabama's had struggles defensively. We're going to preview it and predict it. So, you, you'll get our full pick on this channel. So, make sure you're subscribed. If you were looking for a way it could happen, that would be the place you start. Death Valley, under the lights, Jaden Daniels and company, with the offense continuing to roll, the start to that game will be crucial. Like, if you're LSU, you can't afford to spot Alabama 14 points. You can't go down 17-3, needless to say, like you did against Ole Miss, because at that point, you're just asking for problems, and you're not going to be able to get back like we saw kind of happen against Tennessee. So, uh with that being said, that's kind of how it would happen. But again, we'll, we'll predict it here on the channel. Make sure you're locked in for that. But a fair question. Nick, you, you, got, a, you got a pick in that one? Are you, are you picking LSU off the bat? Or are you, you kind of reserving judgment to wait and see? Look, I was reluctant for Georgia. I think Georgia wins and Florida covers. I think LSU wins. Whoa. Um, again, look, I don't have to be right. It's not my job to be right about this. So I can say whatever I want. And maybe I'll get taken off Q&A at the end, but uh, maybe I'll hopefully so I'll keep my job as producer. But yeah, I think LSU wins this game. Call your shot, brother. I love it. I'm okay. going to call it. Okay. LSU kind of feel like the crypt, the perfect kryptonite to Alabama. Okay. Um, so there's my sense. There you uh, have it. If it is sense at all. Uh, um, I'm going to reserve my right to not say this guy's uh, – name it's kind of funny but i'm not gonna say it he says you think the vols win 
Uh, he says, Fiddy or nah. That's kind of uh, the Tennessee thing, balls by Fiddy. Um, but uh, JD, did the did the Tennessee Volunteers win against Kentucky this weekend? I'm going to ask you that way. Uh, the reality is, Tennessee, in my humble opinion, believe they will win uh, by Fiddy. Here's the thing: it, it could get to that kind of situation. Like the, the wheels could come off this operation quick, fast, in a hurry for Kentucky if it ends up being that NASCAR kind of situation that we talked about. If Kentucky can't keep pace, can't control tempo, then they're going to be caught trying to press, force mistakes. If they force mistakes, if they get down 21-28-0, then there's going to be blood in the water and the Sharks will start to frenzy. That is the Tennessee Volunteer offense. So. They're not built to come back from behind is Kentucky as an offense. Like we talked about, only 25 points a game are being scored on that side. Will Levis has a lot of draft hype, Nick, and I'm not necessarily like an NFL draft kind of person. If I were pressed today, I would take Hennon Hooker three or four times before I take Will Levis. So that's where I fall in the draft stuff. But, but balls by 50, it's possible. Uh, we don't pick them by 50 for the record, but uh, it, it could happen. We think Tennessee wins that game. Ah, man, it's a trap. It's a trap. Okay, well, you have to tell the people you have some some ties here, right? Like you have okay, some. Yes, you're right. I am a Kentuckian, born and raised. Uh, moved here to Tennessee though um, earlier this year. Uh, look, just to keep our fans who are crazy Tennessee fans, I'm gonna say Tennessee wins. But I think this is a game that they should be worried about. This isn't 30 or 40, my friend, in the comments. It's going to be close. Kentucky's healthy for the first time this year, or at least the healthiest they've been. Uh, this is this is scaring me. This is scaring me a little I bit. I like it, Nick. I like I like that we're getting a little bit of banter. I like that we're getting a little bit of uh, the people asking you as well, like, hey, J.D., yes, but Nick, <laughs> Nick, we want to hear also. I mean, I'm, I'm, I say that genuinely. I enjoy yes. that we get some uh, some of the Nick break bites, if you will. Uh, what do you think, Nick? Time for two more? Two more questions Let's sounds do it. good. Let's do it. Two more. It sounds good. A.B. Bailey again. And, you know, I love talking about the Pac-12. Does a one-loss Pac-12 get in over a one-loss SEC team? I'd say absolutely not. Uh, J.D., what about you? Yeah, it's it's a no for me, to quote Simon Cowell. Uh, but here's the deal. <laughs> It's not impossible. If it comes down to SEC one loss or Pac-12 champion one loss, you're going to get left out. Um, but the reality is you could have a both and situation where both those kind of programs get in. Let's say, for example, it is a, and don't get upset, let's say it's a one loss Tennessee. Let's say Tennessee beats Georgia, lose to Alabama, you're probably still in. The Pac-12 could find their way in if you get like a one loss Clemson. Or let's say this, you get a one-loss Big Ten champ because then there's some extra, you know, some extra seats that are open up on that bus because if it's a one-loss Big Ten champ, that means either Michigan or Ohio State didn't win the conference and they have two losses. So you want to avoid the, hey, Ohio State got in undefeated, Michigan only had one loss, so they're both in. You want to avoid that scenario if at all possible for the Pac-12. So there's a path for both of those, but there's some other situations that I think you got to keep an eye on first before you start talking about the head-to-head -head with the SEC. Also the ACC. You need something to happen there, whether it's a one-loss Clemson and kind of get to have a, a you know, committee selection between the two, or better yet, just somebody else wins the ACC. That's kind of the way you'd want that to go in my mind, Nick. Yeah. Good, good point, man. Um, look, we've got one question left. Three really great, great questions in here. Shout out to J Mac Volunteer asked about should we, should Tennessee keep it classy uh, and with the classic jerseys, or should they be doing the change ups? Um, 
That's a great question. I like the change-ups, don't you? I, I think the change-ups are cool. I need to. Like, I, I wouldn't I, like it if it was Penn State, but I like it for Tennessee. Yeah, it's t- yeah, exactly. Newer programs, well, not to say they are. They're they're definitely in the in the range of blue blood. It's like a revamp, though, you know? It's yeah, like a revamp. revamp. Yeah. yeah. Ride with that. Ride with the swagger. Um, OP Gaming also asks if Stetson Bennett deserves any criticism. Um, quickly, JD. Yeah, does he deserve criticism? Uh you know, I just think there's this context is everything, and I think he is playing like we already talked about without Eddie Mitchell, and he's playing with some really great weapons with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. Stetson Bennett isn't Bryce Young. He's not Caleb Williams, but guess what? He's got a national championship ring. Yeah. So let's withhold judgment. Let this thing play out. I think Stetson Bennett's the right guy for them at Georgia, and absolutely. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But no, sorry, let's let's, let's roll on there. Yeah, That's Stetson absolutely. Bennett, you fair, but let's, yeah. let's withhold judgment on that. So the last question, okay? This is our last question. I love this question. JH22, back again, says, who is the next unbeaten team to lose, J.D.? Whoa. <sighs> couple different ways we go with this huh the places I'm looking I think well obviously if you're looking to just next week Georgia and Tennessee they're going to play and assuming that Ohio State beats Penn State this week assuming Michigan is losing to Michigan State assuming that Clemson continues to roll I think they're off this week actually uh gosh man I I think that you probably avoid anybody losing this week and you have a Georgia or a Tennessee next week we're going to pick that next week, all right? So I'm not going to pick between those two teams right now. We're going to talk about it. We're going to preview and predict it. But I think the next unbeaten two fall will be in that football game. So make sure you're locked in here. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. JH22, great question to wrap this thing up. Nick, appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Doing an elite job as always, man, managing Absolutely. the queue. Appreciate you. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll see you Tuesday. I still have this. Let's do it. We'll, we'll run it back on Tuesday. Folks, again, like Nick just said, we're live on Tuesday. We're live on Thursday right here on the On3 YouTube channel. We don't want you to miss a minute of it. So make sure you're locked in with us, whether you got bell notifications or you want to follow me on Twitter. I'm going to let you know when we got shows going on, all right? I'm going to make sure I tweet something out and say, hey, party's starting. Come join us. That's kind of the way that we get down here. I'm also on Instagram. And Instagram is a place where you can kind of keep this Q&A session going. We do a really fun deal over there with like kind of our Friday State of the Union So I just kind of post a question sticker, say, hit me with your CFB or non-CFB questions, and we'll get rowdy. And so I answer those in video form. It's kind of a fun back and forth, pretty interactive, a great way for us to keep the party rolling even when we do go off air. All right? So that's a whole lot of fun. Golly, big week of college football. Very, very big week of college football ahead of us. Week nine, the fourth quarter. This is where teams, like we said, they take shape. So everybody have a phenomenal take shape Saturday. Enjoy the Drake that drops tonight, too. Had to get that in with the show. A whole lot of one-liners coming your way. So make sure that uh, you're keeping your eyes out for that on Instagram as well. But for everybody that's tuned in, thank you so much. This is a blast. We love and appreciate every single one of you. And we'll see you all again live on Tuesday. we got some more content coming out tomorrow. But until then, we're going to keep the party rolling. And we will see you all next time.